0: Hello and welcome to episode six of the First Exchange podcast with me, your host, Lydia de Dahl, And I'm absolutely delighted to be joined in studio today by coach of champions, Dominic Ingle. Welcome. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. good. I'm delighted you're here. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know I've wanted to get you on for a while. I think we've we done one before, though. We've done, oh, we did a Zoom, didn't we? We've done kind of like the Instagram live okay, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's good to have you in the flesh and we've, in the new studio.
1: Yeah, yeah, we've got a bit more to talk about since that one, haven't we? So, well,
0: we certainly do. You've yeah. been very busy. Congratulations. Thank you. New world champion. Yeah. Let's start. How did it feel?
1: Yeah, it feels good, but you know, it's we've had. It might sound a bit, uh, you know, smug this, but we've had that many that it's yeah. not the same as. You know, it's not the same as the first one. I mean, the first one was Nazim Hamid, and I wasn't really involved with Nazim Hamid. So for me, the first one was Johnny Nelson, that mm-hmm. was the next champion. And, and I can always remember when Naz left the gym, he said to Brendan, he went, uh, you're not going to get no more world champions, you know, after me. I'm I'm a gift from God. And my dad went, <laughs> looked to him, he went, you must be off your head. He says there'll be loads of world champions. And he went, who? And he went, Johnny Nelson. And he went, Brendan. And he, he actually said to my brother, he went, John, you're going to have to have a word with your dad. He's, Johnny's never going to be a world champion. He's already lost two world title fights. Mm-hmm. He's got no chance. And I John went, well, we'll see what. And he did. Yeah. And from that point, when you know the formula and you know what's required, mm-hmm. it's, it's a case of getting the right candidate. who who, you know you can take on that journey because they all get the same training yeah. but it's, you know, what makes it the difference is the individual, how they apply themselves to that system. Mm -hmm. So you get thousands coming in, you know, they must have had thousands in that uh, gym coming through it must, you know, it must be 50-60 thousand kids and you think you whittle them down and you get six world champions over 30 years Mm -hmm. or whatever it is and you've got to know the system and it's not changed much but you've got to get the individual who can follow the plan Mm -hmm. and some can stick close to it. Some can, you know, nail it to a T. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's probably testament to Brendan's system how we set it up that we don't get handed elite fighters. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't come through the GB system. We don't get kids who won ABAs. They, they come from the ground up. They come from 10 years old. Yeah. And you develop them. And, you know, Kid Galahad had only won one national title. It was only what they call a CYPs. It's like, it's like a boys club title. He didn't win ABAs. He didn't win a, I think, I don't know if 18 18 might have been senior. I'm not sure. I think he were 18 when he did it. And on the back of that, he's gone all the way to become, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. an IBF World Champion, which is probably the most legitimate belt because you've got to fight your mandatories. You've got to go through the rankings. You can't just get placed. You're not hanging around like with a WBA, WBC. -hmm. Um, You know, you get your position. It doesn't matter who the champion is, you've got to fight the next one in line. Mm -hmm. So it's probably the most legitimate belt. And that system, you know, it's brought through. Uh, Johnny Nelson, Junior Witter, another one who never really won, probably won one national title. Kel Brook, he was a very good junior, never boxed senior. Um, And obviously King Galahad. So you bring them through that system and it's a long, long journey. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's been going on since I was 27 years old. That's 27 years ago. That's how long I've been at it. And in that time frame, you know, Nas was already world champion. It was Johnny, Junior, Kel, Barry. Um, obviously, we've had other fighters yeah. come through. Billy Joe Saunders, Nicola Adams, um, you know, who were who were trained by other people and became mm-hmm. world champions. But the homegrown ones are the, you know, the ones that we brought through from scratch.
0: In terms of the system, <clears throat> you know, it's a very famous system. The Ingle Gym as a whole with its legacy is, you know, it's built into boxing. You, you can't know about boxing and not know about the Ingle Gym about yourself, about Brendan. That system that's in place, how did it formulate? You know, is it built on failures? Is it built on uh, trial and error? Is it built on, you know, one person like Naz will say, you know, going ahead with it and then sitting back and going, right, this is the formulation that we need to take? Or how did this kind of iconic gym get its um, legacy, I suppose?
1: Well, all the things you've mentioned, mm. it does come from trial and error, it did come from making mistakes, it did come from fighters who came into the gym. Mm-hmm. It came from all those things. But the basic system uh was was implemented by Brendan who was trained over in Ireland, all his fam all his, his family, his brothers were fighters. Um, his dad was actually a pigeon fancier, he wasn't really into boxing, but they had some other guy training him mm-hmm. and when he came over to England, he had a little book with things in, the blows, you know, some so much, many rounds of footwork. <clears throat> and then he got hold of a building and started building it from there and just by observation because he was dyslexic. So he had to do things by vision and, and mm. what worked and gauging people. And, you know, we've got the lines in the gym, uh, which have been down for years. Mm. And that's a patented system now. It's been copyrighted and, you know, the colours in it. It worked for Brendan, who was dyslexic and probably, um, you know, he probably had other uh, spectrums, learning uh, difficulties and dyspraxia, maybe. And they saw, the the they worked better on colours and sounds yeah. and stuff like that. He was into music, rhythm of music, colours. So there, all the lines were painted in different colours. And you, what you found is the kids who came into the gym with OCD or dyslexia or attention deficit disorder or whatever... These naughty kids had yeah. come in and for two hours of a day, they'd be normal because they'd have something to focus on. Mm. Barry was like hyperactive when he came to the gym. You'd have to, you know, two hours a day, an hour in the morning, two hours at night, and then he'd probably be calm. And if he didn't train, he was a nightmare when he was a kid. So he, the story is that when Barry came in, Brendan, he came in middle of the morning and Brendan said, do your footwork, I'll be yeah. back. And he had him. he was there for three hours doing the footwork. He never stopped. Mm. But most kids would do 10 minutes, think, well, he's not coming back and do one. Yeah. You know what I mean? But Brendan kept popping back every now and again. I and mean, he said, Barry, every time I came in, we're still doing the thing, doing the lines. And that's when you've got a kid like that, you know yeah. that whatever you tell them, it's gospel they're going to do it. They're just going to carry on doing do it till you say stop. And that's what you need as a fighter. You don't, you don't need somebody thinking, well, I've done that for 10 minutes, what's next? Mm-hmm. You've got to master it. And even now, the first thing that he does when he walks in the gym is you'll do four, six rounds of footwork, shadow, shadow boxing footwork. It's just the, the, mm-hmm. the start of the routine. It never leaves you.
0: That story, because um, obviously we had uh, Barry Kigala in here a couple of weeks ago um, for an episode of the podcast. And we spoke about that, you know, what is now an infamous story of his first day and turning up and your dad, you know, letting him in and then heading off to do whatever he needs yeah. to do. What was the premise of your, of and your dad's do, doing that? Like, what was he trying to see? Was he trying to see, would he last? No, was he trying I, I to think... see, would he be able to stick out the couple hours or... What's the 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 coaching mentality behind that? Probably
1: everything, but I think the main reason was what you know got his uh, his defenses alerted were that he walked into the, into the gym, uh, Barry, quite innocently and said, "Oh, Nazi Mammy sent me down." Yeah. He says, "I want to be world champion." Come here, and, and this was <laughs> a period maybe two or three years after Naz had left. So mm-hmm. Brendan automatically thought he's just sent somebody in to spy on what's going off. Yeah. So instead of saying to him like, "Do one," he went, "No problem, yeah, mm-hmm. do this then," and had him doing it, and thought. Well, if that's his intention to come down and maybe yeah. infiltrate or cause, or whatever it is, whatever his reasons come down, he's not going to stick at this long. Yeah. And I can remember him saying to me, pulling me on side and saying, keep an eye on this kid. I think he's, you know, I think he's come down to spy. I went, what's it matter anyway, dad? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he just stuck at it. So when we go back to the previous question of all the things, what made the gym work? Yeah, you know, Nazi Ahmed, you know, there's a, there's a story going around that Errol Graham developed the Ingles style. No, he was part of it. You mm. know, obviously when we had fighters uh, before him, Mick Mills, a guy called Stevie Stokes, these, you know, kids, they could stand out of a fight. That's how people did. When Errol Graham came, he came at 18 years old and Brendan had been watching him on the amateur circuit. But we had very good fighters, amateur, we had a kid called Peter Bennett, mm. very good fighter. Mark Slater, Nicky Daly. People forget about these kids because mm. they never they never went, they box pro, but they never made the big time. And if they had they said, well, the style came from maybe another guy called Walter Clayton. They're all on Facebook. You can look these guys up. They were the basis of the Ingle Gym. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we used to travel up and down the motorway uh, at championship fights or up and down the country with these guys. Um, you know, there's so many other other fighters apart from the one, you only hear the ones that make it. Yeah. So they all learned, Brian Anderson, another one who, who lived with Errol Graham at the time, he became British champion. Um, there's so many, you know, we could have, there could be an old episode on these ex-fighters and these former mm-hmm. fighters. They all went on to do other stuff. One became a prison governor. You know, one went into the, Mark Slater was a very good amateur. Went, you know, went to fight in the Falklands. Wow. Um, so that's how far back it goes, but people don't remember these stories. The, and,
0: and you know, and you were saying this, and I, I, I don't know these names. No, you
1: know? you, no, you won't, but they were very good fighters and they all, they all built the Ingalls style. Yeah. They all learned off each other. They were, you know, classy fighters. When we, the reason that Brendan got kicked out of the amateurs is because whereas amateur boxing was very stand up, straight back and forward, two steps in straight yeah. lines, they developed a different style, more angles. Mm-hmm. They trained, you know, the, the style he, he taught, Brendan looked at and think, well, that's, that guy's static in straight lines, let's get angles. So, When he started getting good and his kids started winning championships, Mm -hmm. people just get jealous because everybody's doing the same thing. They're all in the ABA coaching handbook at the time Mm -hmm. and they're all training the kids the same way keep your hands up, don't drop your hands, keep your hands. And Brenda said, drop your hands, do this, Mm -hmm. you know, do your footwork, step side to side. You can't do that. So when that cell started beating, you know, uh, the, the traditional system, everybody starts questioning what they're doing wrong because when them guys were boxing each other, fine. Yeah, but then when they get somebody totally coming in and doing something different and they're beating them guys, they can't quite get their head around it and it kind of undermines what they've been doing for all these years. Yeah, so now we go back 30 years to um body sparring, mm. you know, oh, you can't win fights, championship fights, we know how to sparring, you can't do this, you can't do that. Well, Brendan was in a, in a system when he boxed where guys had be, head sparring from Monday to Friday and then fighting on a Saturday night. Mm. So there's a lot of damage involved. So he started a system where it was body sparring and now only now in a lot of places are they starting to implement it because of the damage it can cause. Mm-hmm. There's four more damage caused in, uh, in sparring sessions in, in gyms than there is in fights. Mm-hmm. You might as a top level athlete, you might fight three times a year, 12 rounds. But if you're doing 140 rounds of sparring for yeah. each fight. It's, a, it's like you're having what? It's so, many, it's so much damage. So, you know, that creates longevity in, in boxing. You look at people like Johnny Nelson, you wouldn't even think he was a boxer. Yeah. Even Nazi Mamid to a certain degree. And Nazi Mamid, probably in his entire career in the Ingle Gym, probably did maybe 20 rounds of open sparring, if that. And that's from being a kid all the mm-hmm. way up. And people say that's impossible for the level he fought at and what he did. Well, it's not really if you know what you're doing. Yeah. But so many people don't. So, um, you know, the the Kid Galahad uh, story, Barry, when he came into the gym, it was purely, you know, to keep him on his toes and see if he could stick the process because mm-hmm. he didn't he didn't box. He, he played yeah. football. And he told me when he was over in Liverpool, he had a guy mentoring him. And Barry kept saying, I want to be a footballer. And I went, no, no, no. And then he, he told the guy he was moving to Sheffield. He said, what you want to be is a boxer. Fine, you know, mm-hmm. you get to this gym. And he, he went from football to boxing. And, and that's where he's become, but it's took a long time, you yeah. know, from 13 years old to 31. It's mm-hmm. a long time to, to get where you need to be, and it won't pay off for him until maybe he's had, you know, three, four, five defenses. It mm-hmm. will probably be worth it, but just to have that belt on the mantelpiece, said, "Well, I, I set my mind on this, yeah, and I've got there, I've achieved it. You know, that's that's a good thing, and then it's now about monetizing it.
0: For someone like Barry, can you remember the moment where you looked at him and said? he's going to be a world champion.
1: I don't think you can ever do that because, you know, you can see there's so many kids who come into that gym and look like they can be world champions at seven, eight eight years old. Just when Naz came in, it wasn't just Naz stood out. There was lots of guys who stood out. Mm. And same when Kel Brook came in, you know, he was the worst of a a bunch of five or six kids. They're all very good, but he was the worst of them. But he stuck at it because his parents brought him down. Same with Naz. He only had to walk down the road. There was 15, uh, not 15, there was nine in his family, I think. Mm -hmm. So for him to come to the gym, and have attention off the gym or Brendan in particular, whereas his attention from his parents was diluted. Yeah. Was fantastic. So he obviously he's going to spend time in a place where he's getting, oh, this is Nazimami, mean, he's, he's sparring Errol Graham. And there's mm-hmm. pictures of Errol Graham sparring with Naz. And how Naz learned it was that Errol Graham was the man coming through. He'd move out the way. Naz tried try hit him in the face. That's where Naz got the jumping from, jumping up to Errol Graham to try and hit him on the chin. So people say, how did he develop that leap shot? We were doing it at eight and nine years old. Mm. You know, that's how they did it. So... Um, the guys coming through um, when you're thinking you spot them you can see the potential but mm-hmm. the pitfalls and the biggest pitfalls are generally the parents why is that football dads football moms because mm. they know better you know yes I mean? and that's the thing <laughs> they've all got the best intentions for the kids and they're all experts yeah but you've got to be able to take a step back you know I don't agree with you know parents training the kids unless the, their established trainers before, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I boxed as an amateur, and although my dad did a little bit of training, it was somebody else training me. You know what I mean? But yeah. that was I got the system. The guy who trained me said that's the system. Do that. So, and I, I don't think I want my dad training me as well. I don't want. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't really want that relationship, but I got that relationship later on when I became a, <clears throat> a, a trainer second, mm-hmm. because obviously he was mentoring me in that sense. He didn't mentor me as a boxer. Yeah. He mentored me as a as a, as a coach and a trainer. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: why do you not think the relationship between uh, father and son or father and daughter might not work? In I terms just of think boxing?
1: there's too there's too many emotions involved. You've got to be detached a little bit. You've got to be able mm-hmm. to uh, stand back and yeah. you know even when I you know the Kell Brooks, the King Gallagher, you've you've got that connection with them, but you've got to know when's enough and when's too much.
0: Yeah,
1: and that's not always good as a parent. You know, what mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen parents leave the kids in there getting battered. Yeah, and then I've seen parents pulling the kids out too soon. So they, it's that balance in it. It's yeah. they, they, get, they either get it wrong, they get it wrong or, or or right or really wrong. And uh I've been in fights with we, we kids and parents have been saying to me, "Pull them out" or "Don't pull, don't you know, don't pull them out." Mm-hmm. And it's, it doesn't make no difference to me because I'm not going to take their advice. I'm going to use my experience yeah. and and do it that way because I'm in the best position, aren't I? I've been doing it for mm-hmm. a long, long time. See, we've got social media, and people think that boxing, boxers, boxing trainers only go far back as social media when because that's when they started getting an insight into it. So, yeah. look at the old school trainers. You probably couldn't name any. No. You
0: know
1: what I mean? Jimmy Tibbs.
0: Mm. Jimmy well, Jimmy Ma- would know, but yeah, it's but- it's through Mark that you kind of yeah, learn of about course, Jimmy, Of people you know? would think
1: that Mark Tibbs was the trainer when really yeah. it's his dad. Yeah, yeah Same yeah. with G- Jimmy McDonald. Uh, you go back there, he, he, you know, not Shane O'Gwynn because his dad didn't really train anybody. Barry didn't train anybody. But you go back to way back to these trainers, mm-hmm. you know, who were around back in the day. Ronnie Davis, who trained Eubank Junior. Mm. Uh, sorry, who trained Eubank Junior and Chris Eubank. You know, what I mean, you go back to all them trainers like people. Oh, who were they then? Terry yeah. Lawless, mm-hmm. back in the day, bringing you know, bringing champions through, um, you know, on, on a conveyor belt. But people not can't remember that far back. Maybe ten years. Mm-hmm. So. You know, luckily I've been I've been at it since I was born into boxing. Yeah. You know, uh, every day I woke up, I was doing something. My first experience with Errol Graham is I woke up, I looked across, and he was in a bed across from me. That was it. Because he'd been out of boxing one night, they come back late, and he just stayed in the house. Mm. So he lived with us for two or three years, but. You know, he was under Brendan's watchful eye because he realized he got, he got a, a kid with plenty of potential. But what was going to probably unravel him is being left to his own devices. Mm-hmm. And he used to, I used to, have, we used to get up at five o'clock in the morning, go for a run. And this is in the times when you had to weigh on the day for a fight. So if you were a championship fight, you would weigh in at 12 o'clock yeah. that day and you'd fight 10 o'clock that night. That's how it worked. And I can remember Brendan saying to me, you know, come on, get up. You're going to have to run with him. We'd have, two, we'd have to run twice a day. Ten miles it was. And um
0: ten miles twice so a day. So
1: no, we'd run six miles in the morning, four right. miles at night. Two circuits we used to do five days a week. And that's what you had to do to keep on your weight. But it wasn't fast running, it was just it was it was fat burning running, it was conditioning running, it was just fitness running. It wasn't like you see SNC coaches now making people sprint, do all these kind of things. Yeah. Because Brendan worked it out for himself. We had a system where we did the nearest thing you can do to boxing, which is spar, mm-hmm. body sparring. You do a bit of pad work. You do footwork, you do long runs for mm-hmm. fat burning. We did sprints and we had a circuit system. So it was all in place to cover all aspects of, you know, what a boxer needs. Yeah. And that's why sometimes I look at the stuff that's going off with s and now that, you know, and people making a big play for it and making up the training 50% of it. You have to look and think, <clears throat> but where was it 20 years ago? Yeah. Where was it with the likes of Thomas Hearns, Sugar Ray, They didn't do it. They didn't even do pad work. Mm-hmm. So... And you had some great Marvin Agler. You never saw Marvin Agler lifting a weight. Mm-hmm. Because they did boxing training, they used the things in the gym to get them where they needed to be. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah, looking back, so we had to go to running and I, it, it sent me out on a run and it'd be, you know, don't matter when it worked. Most of the time it was the winter because the boxing season usually ran from September to about April, yeah. amateurs are all pro, basically not much going off in the summer. So most of the night, mornings and nights were dark when you were running and we used to run. And I said, one day I got up, I said to Brendan, you know, my dad, why am I having to run with him? You know, it's like, he can do it on himself. I think at the, he's, he's, he's he, in fact, it was his birthday yesterday. He was 62 and he was eight years older than me. <clears throat> so when he was 20, I was about 12. So I had to go running with him. And I said to Brendan, you know, why do I have to go? Running with him, he goes, oh, it's between me and you, don't say anything to me, scared of the dark. I thought it was a bit strange. So we're in bed, and he'd always make me get out of, He'd always make me turn the light off when I get into bed. I says, That's why he makes you turn the light off. So I'm laying in bed one night. I said to him, Why do you always make me turn the light off? He goes, Because I don't want to get in and out of bed. He says, You can do it. I says, Are you scared at dark? He went, No. I went, Are you sure? He went, Yeah. I said, I don't believe you. He said, I'm not scared at dark. So we did a few more runs. And I said to him, Dad, He's not scared at dark. He says, Yeah, he is. So I wonder I says, You switch light off. He went, all right then. So he switched light off. And I then realized he weren't scared at dark. So I said to my dad, Why have you why have you told me he's scared at dark? He went, listen. he goes, You've got to go running with him to make sure he does the run. Mm-hmm. He says, and if I tell you, is that's for that reason, you're not gonna do it. Yeah. But you think it's funny because you're a kid and he's older than you and he's scared of the dark. So you can keep an eye on what he does. Yeah. Because we didn't have heart rate monitors, we didn't have tracking devices. Mm-hmm. But my dad needed to know he was too old to do the running, but he needs somebody with him to make yeah. sure that he did the runs, and he didn't do the runs. Mm-hmm. He's very competitive. People used to think it was called bomber because, you know, he bombed people out. He didn't because yeah. he could have could run. So that's what we used to do. We used to run twice a day. And um, and that was a tracking device back in mm. them days. Every, there was always somebody watching him. If it was Brendan in the gym, uh, my mother in the house who mm-hmm. fed him, and us training him. So there was somebody keeping tabs a, a on him all the time. Couldn't really escape anywhere. So you had to, you had to keep, keep him locked down. And that's how, how it works with fighters sometimes because most of them, you let them out of the site for two minutes, you don't know what they're doing. Once yeah. they leave the gym, you don't know what they're doing. And you need to know what they're doing because when they're in a tough fight, you need to know that they've done the weight right, they've done the training right, they've done yeah. the rest right. And they can be telling you all these things, mm-hmm. but once they leave the gym, you don't know what they're doing unless you've got them on a training camp and locked down.
0: The athlete is a very uh, interesting character. Sorry? It's an, uh, the athlete is an interesting character. You know, when yeah. you... Um...
1: The athlete. the athlete. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually thinking what I'm actually saying. The athlete. It's like I talk to my kids. Sorry,
0: my apologies. I get my translator. When I, when I
1: talk to my kids, we, we do a bit of a, you know, because we, we have to talk about my dad. And yeah. we, we do one where we go, one, two, three. And and that's the thing. And they start <laughs> laughing. And I, and I say, I just say three and they go, tree. I said, but what does he call the tree? And they say tree. <laughs> you know what I mean. So we have a bit of a laugh and joke. So sometimes when you listen to him, it's like, oh, but, but, what are you saying? But well,
0: I have been told that you know, working you know in TV or media, that I have to yeah. start getting rid of my trees, yeah. my my three hundred and my my trees. But uh, a lot of people find that very funny. You know, people will say, what time is this? At like ten to three.
1: Ten to three and ten to three. We were, uh, just on that same subject, uh, I was <laughs> off to America one time with Jason Quigley. And, and got, he's
0: got an interesting accent exactly, as well, can't right? can't quite make it
1: out. And I, I said to him, are you actually from, you know, obviously where he's from, I believe he's on the border of, of Northern don't Ireland, Nicole. so it's very, very yeah. strong. Um, and we got to the check-in and he said some. He, he, he spoke to the lady behind the counter about his tickets and she like just looked puzzled and he said it again. And she looked at me and I went, Jason, she don't understand you. So <laughs> I said it. She goes, yeah, I don't understand you. <laughs> So he, he looked. What do you, mean? you don't understand me. So it's you know he, he could he couldn't quite understand why she was looking puzzled. Um. So yeah, we've had that a few times, but yeah, it's, the athlete is a very interesting person. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the mind. If the the mind of the athlete, or the mind of the fighter. I, for me personally, it's it's my most, uh, fascinating area. It's un, trying to understand the. The person that has put themselves in the position to want to be the best in their particular fields, you know, and it's probably a fascination with, you know, people who want to be the best and who strive to be the best and who end up being the best. Mm -hmm. And what does it take to get there, especially in terms of being a fighter or, or being, you know, an elite level fighter in that what is it inside them that will drive them? You want to be the best.
1: Usually, usually, it's an insecurity thing that the the you know the, the good fighters tend to be kids who um, you'll not get a kid who's good at school being a boxer. Mm. You know, back in the day we had a guy called Nicky Piper and he was always the thing about him is always always got a, a university degree or something like that. Yeah. And there's, there are been fighters in the past who've been educated, but you tend to find that you know certain people are cut out for certain things mm. and. All the good fighters we've had, it's they've been, you know, um, to quote a promoter, Frank Maloney, they've got to have a screw loose. And mm-hmm. that's not a bad thing. It's just, they just look at things a bit of a different way. And uh, they've got the will to win. Mm-hmm. And don't forget, as a fighter... You've just got to beat the guy in front of you. Now, that might sound like, well, just the guy in front of you. But you've got a marker. You can physically gauge somebody up and down, mm-hmm. work them out, realise where you can make them crack. And it's that kind of thing. Really, it's like a game of chess with elite level fighters anyway and watching behaviour of fighters. And basically, just don't like, don't like losing mm-hmm. at anything. You know, Nazi, that's, the
0: best. that's, that's the best they don't like, to, they, the they don't be, like losing they don't yeah. like
1: losing whatever it is you know Nazi man was a very good boxer mm. he, he used to pal up with the snooker players back in the day Stephen Henry he used to play them at snooker he, you know everything he put his hand to he wanted to be the best at yeah. and if, if you beat him he'd keep you on that table or whatever else you were doing until he beat you yeah. And I always remember one time I was training with him. We were we were staying in his house when he got this big house in Sheffield and we went running. He didn't, he didn't like running, but he had to run for this fight because he had to lose weight. But he never ran um, for most of his fights. Only probably towards the back end of his career when I got involved with him. And we're running up this hill and he starts picking up the pace. So I just got in front of him and a bus came past with everybody packed. You know, this bus came past, it was packed, and everybody's looking down and he's, he's behind me. He's going, Dominic, get behind me. Everybody on bus is looking. I went. No, you get in front of me. No, you need to run behind me. I went. No, you get in front of me if you want to be in front. Mm. You know what I mean? So he would edge yeah. up. I let him get behind, behind me, and I keep it. And then he tried to go past me, and I just picked the pace, but it, it frustrated him, mm-hmm. and he was concerned about people on the bus thinking somebody's beating him at running. Yes. And then for the last fifty meters, he tried to out sprint me. But I was a very good runner, and he couldn't. Mm. And he expected me to let him, you know, to, to let me beat him. But I will not do that. Yeah. do not matter who he was. If he wants to beat me, he's got to beat me. Mm-hmm. And it's the same when they got in the ring. Whenever they sparred, it was body sparring. But body sparring when I was brutal. And whoever got in that ring, it doesn't matter whether you were a 15-year-old kid, what size, whatever you were, their main aim was to bash you that bad that you got out. But he's yeah. only body sparring, so you could never say, well, he, you know, he was taking the piss, hitting me in the face. He yeah. didn't. But he, he's body sparring is brutal if you know what you're doing. Mm. And the trick in them days is there'd be a ring full, maybe 10 in the ring. Mm. And it was a case of breaking people down. The one who tend to stick the most with Naz, Naz would try and finish them, they get out. Then he'd get onto somebody else and he'd try and be the last man standing. That, that's what the game was. And yeah. that's where the competition came from. He would try and outlast everybody. Mm-hmm. He used to he used to go down to the baths. Uh, and they'd they have a competition who could stay under the water the longest, hold the breath. Do you know what I mean? All that whatever, chucking coins, flipping coins. It was so competitive. And when that competitiveness leaves them, is when they've had enough. Yeah. And basically, when you talk to Naz about the Barrera, he says, I just lost interest. You know, I, it become it, it wasn't fun anymore, it was hard work. Mm. And you know, he had a, he had one more fight after that, and it was shocking. You would look yeah. at him and think, how's he ever been a world champion? Mm. And it's when it's when that desire, you know, that desire goes.
0: Mm. Oh, it's so it's so interesting that. You know, if you're looking at the context of life, we'll say as the person, that version of Naz or that that person who's saying get behind me or being that competitive may not be the most pleasant person to be around in terms of like human to human, but in the context of needing to be like that to be the best
1: you have to be. You have to be that way. You have to believe that you know you're the best thing since sliced bread, and nobody and they do in their yeah. own mind. They 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 think they walk on water. Mm. So it, how
0: is that in the context of the gym? Then how do you as the coach navigate all these guys it's just, it's, or it's, girls? See, it's, it's you it?
1: ego at the end of yeah. the day, and you've got to know how to manage ego. And, and there's times, um, you know, people you get a lot in boxing where you'll hear somebody saying, "Yeah, they need putting it in the place," but that's mm. not really what you need to do. You know, it's like mm. I've I've had kids come to my gym sparring. And training Seth was oh, yeah, he needed that. He needed to put it in his place. But no, yeah, they don't, actually, because mm. it's that belief, that you know, that total belief that nobody's better than them. And that's the thing with Naz. We never got into fights with Naz when we, when we took him out for fights thinking he was going to get beat mm. because you just knew how he was. You never worried about thinking, oh, he's going to get beat. The only time you, you had your doubts is when you boxed Kevin Kelly because he got yeah. put down a few times. But even getting put down, you never saw Naz once mm-hmm. think, so you never saw a look on his face thinking, I'm into a DP, I'm going to get beat. Yeah. He was like, all right, and then you've had me, yeah, good. No problem. And mm-hmm. I think he went down maybe twice before Naz clipped him. But Naz had such confidence that he had the power to turn a fight around with one shot. He went, Yeah, no problem. I've been down then, mm-hmm. you know, and we'll get ke- we'll get going. It was a four round shootout. Yeah. So and then Naz finished him off and Naz was like, well, there you go, I've got you. You might mm-hmm. have had me down twice, but I'm gonna finish this. And that's how Naz was. Yeah. So you you always had that but be- he had so much belief in himself and you had so much belief in him mm-hmm. that you were never holding your breath through fights. You thought, yeah, it's gonna end it's only gonna end one way, this and that's when Naz winning. Yeah, obviously it didn't work with Barrera, but then we weren't training him. So mm-hmm.
0: when you look at yourself and the role that you play within the gym, how have you learned or navigated the role as coach? Like, has it been a case of, you know, failing, uh, making your mistakes? Like, how do you learn to um, curate all of these different fighters and know what each of them all need? Like, I imagine that's a very difficult role you, even if you look at the context of an office with different personalities and strong characters and how do you sit on top of them and sort of navigate them all to achieve
1: well i could ask you this question and i think the answer is going to be no you haven't got any children have you no why not
0: because <laughs> i'm doing this i'm busy doing this right. one day one day one so day so you might
1: have children yes, so that's yeah, the thing that
0: yeah.
1: i used to think uh kids with hard work so yeah. obviously I came from a family of five I and mean, we didn't really get on everybody was you know because we were we were the irish family weren't we my yeah. dad was a catholic and so when we went to school most people had a brother and a sister yeah. it was only people like uh not that there was many Asians or whatever but it were i the irish or Sometimes, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses for some reason they were like big families, like five yeah. kids plus. So, there was only a few families in my school that had like more than two kids, very rare. Yeah, um, so <laughs> families are hard work and kids are hard work. And um, my dad spent a lot of time in the gym, and if we wanted him, we'd go over that's where we found him. Um, so when you're in that environment and you, and you realize and watch how Brendan handle that situation. You just mm. it's an automatic thing, you just learn. I you'd listen there listening to and talking to groups of people. Yeah. And it it comes a second nature. You don't realise it I never realised at that age. I don't you never said to me you're gonna be a boxing trainer, you're gonna be a boxer. Mm. You just said do what you want to do. That's what I did. I, when, I, when I left home at 18, I jumped on a boat, came to Sheffield and worked and then did what I wanted to do I'm away from my parents. He said, you'll do the same thing. So you, you, you're learning subliminally. You're watching everything. It's just going in. You don't realize you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And you're just watching how he dealt with people and how people dealt with him and how people dealt with each other. You're just learning about people. so when you say how do you manage it all it's I can't really say how I manage it because it's just second nature to me now you have to make sure you've got the right people in the first place that they've all got the common goal of wanting to be good Mm -hmm. and they're all going to work together and I won't have kids in the gym who cause disruption you can see them coming in and they don't last long because the system system doesn't work for them they they go so it's a natural selection process anyway Mm -hmm. sometimes you have to keep people away but it's 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 just knowing what to do with that particular person, like mm-hmm. Liam Williams likes to do things a certain way. And it's like when people used to come to the gym, you get two types of people. People come and wanted to box like Nazim Hamid, how yeah. Nazim Hamid was, in his prime. But that's not how he started out boxing. He mm-hmm. developed to that style. And before you develop to that style, you've got to start with the basics, the yeah. footwork, the technical stuff, the standard boxing stuff. And then you develop your style. Or uh, they think you're going to turn them into a junior witter, a switcher so you're going to make him switch mm-hmm. and all these things and that's not the case you look at the fight a good trainer will look don't matter what our system is a good trainer will look at the fight and think what does he need to improve mm-hmm. so Liam Williams, when he came to my gym he was already a good fighter yeah so he can switch but and I train him to switch but he doesn't have he doesn't i don't insist he fights to switch it's just another Addition, it's just an addition to his arsenal, mm-hmm. and he become, but he became a more disciplined fighter under our system because he was actually training too hard, too much, when he was in Wales. Mm-hmm. He was, he was because he was training, and he was a the top guy in the gym so he had nobody to compare against mm. and he came up to our gym to spar. Kel Brook for the Golovkin fight and you could see him thinking oh my God, this is a bit different and he wasn't the top kid and he gave Kel a good spa. And and then years later he came and he said to me I should have come a lot earlier I said but you weren't ready to come a lot earlier you weren't ready for that change because it's not just a case of driving up you've got to be mentally prepared to leave where you are to improve, and not many people can do that. And that's why not many people who are good get past a certain level. Mm-hmm. So, the fighters we've had have been good, like Junior Witter, he came from Bradford and lived in Sheffield. Yeah, um, we had another guy called Leishan Pickering, came from Newark. So, a lot of fighters we've had have come from outside of Sheffield mm-hmm. and, and totally moved there. So, um, when you look at that uh, that system of kids that. It's, it's 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 tricky. You just manage them. You just manage mm. automatically, and you just have to know what makes them tick. You have to be very. You've got to be very aware mm-hmm. of how they are as people. You have to spend time. We have to go for a coffee with them. you have to chat them up. You have to learn about them. And they don't know off at time what you're doing, but you're yeah. basically just gauging what the personality is. But the thing with boxers, as with most people, this ego. What you're seeing is the front wall of them, mm. because that's what they want to show you. Yes. You know what I mean?
0: Do you find that most of them are quite guarders? Of course they are, because that's mm. because the boxers. Yeah. You
1: know, Billy Joe Sons is the most charming person on, on this planet. Yeah. You know, you listen to him. You, I don't know if you've interviewed him. Fantastic. I mean, it's great talking to Billy. Eh? He can yeah. charm the birds out of the trees. <laughs> and and then he'll beat you up. And yeah. that's what he'll do. Ch- and used to be the same. He'd talk to the opponents. Mm. You know, you're fantastic. You. And they'd be like, oh, you know, you've do- I'm going to knock you out. And they'd be like, what? So yeah. that's the thing, you never got past you you never really get past them and in re, you don't want to, but you know there's something there. And I think if they'd learnt to work themselves out, they wouldn't be the people who they were. If they realised what made them tick or what the faults were or what their life was like. Mm. You know, look at most boxers like, you know, the the good ones, Mike Tyson, even Evander Holyfield at the weekend, what's he thinking at fifty eight coming back? Yeah. So what's the mindset if he you, you know you can't work them out you, you can only gauge on the behavior what they're doing the training mm. and try and stop them from unraveling or going off the rails and keeping them on track and it's, it's guiding it's controlling that aggression the determination their ego and just manipulating it so they keep on the just between the rails while they've got the career yeah. and most fighters after they finish if they're smart, you look at people like Anthony Crawler going has gone into training, great. Ricky, who's yeah. obviously had his problems, mm. he trains people. They've got to have something to focus on because yeah. the ones who don't, they go to the wall mm. because they've been told what to do every day. They've had a system. It's easy, but when they have to get up and think for themselves, it can be difficult. Mm-hmm. So, you know, after boxing uh, with, with boxers, you, they've got to, it's, 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 it's a bit precarious, really. Uh, a lot of them do fall by mm. the wayside in, in a bad way. So they've got to have something in place for when the career finishes to take up mm-hmm. that space and time what they were using, you know, for remaining focused and discipline.
0: It's interesting because if we look not only even, you know, with boxers, but athletes in general, in particular footballers, you know, you see the the same sort of pattern emerge with like ex footballers, you know, that have had <clears throat> this lifestyle. And again, it's fascinating because, you know, it's no surprise that history repeats itself and it, it, you hit the nail on the head there with that. What well, my question was going to be was, why do you think that happens? And it's obviously because like that, they've been given a schedule. They've been told what to do. They don't have to think for themselves and then they're just free to be. And they have all this money and success and power and, and different things like that. Um, and I imagine that changes the person.
1: Uh yeah, it does, but I think you've got to understand that you know, footballers from an early age, boxers from an early age, even in music with mm-hmm. bands, you have a, a tour manager or a road manager, whatever, you've got the talent, you know what you're doing, but there's got to be somebody to guide you. Yeah. You know, there's always nobody wakes up a fantastic boxer, footballer, musician. Mm-hmm. They, they've got something. People we experience guide them and mould them. I can always remember Nazi Ahmed's... Uh, business manager who was his brother at the time, Riaf, saying to me, dad, you've brainwashed our Naz. He went, yeah, I have. Yeah, from seven years old when I sit down and think what you've done, you've brainwashed him. I went, yeah, because I've brainwashed him to be a world champion and make millions. Mm. That's what he, That's what it is.
0: What did he mean you've brainwashed him? Like, to to think a certain way? Yeah,
1: of course, of course he did because... because he used, to sit in, he used to take Naz around at seven years old when he'd been boxing a year, seven, eight years old, and say, everybody's going to be world champion, this kid. And like, that's fantastic. So he'd take him all around the boxing shows. Naz was in world, he was in changing rooms for world title fights when he was 10 and 11 years old. Mm. So when you when I first boxed amateur, all right, I'd done that anyway, but a lot of kids, the first experience they have, they walk in the gym, they train, they have a fight. Mm. But they don't know where it's going to go, this. They don't know what the end, end route is. I went to school, I played football, I was quite good at football. And I just... My school football, Sunday league football, that was it. I didn't think, oh, well, what do you do now? Do you go to, like, uh, county team? Do you do this? Do you get trials? Because my dad weren't interested in football. Yeah. So there was nobody to guide me. Not that I would have been a footballer anyway. But I was good at more things. I was quite sporty in all ways because I was fit. But it was staring me in the face what I should have done. I should have been into boxing at some point because I was brought up around it. Yeah. And um, so... I've actually lost my point there. What are we talking about? Oh.
0: <laughs> We're talking about the, the athlete that's guided right, for so, so yeah, long so and then so, afterwards so, you're just so, like left. So from left an, early age, from an early
1: age, they've got somebody telling them every day, yeah, eat this, do this, run, body about. Well. Yeah. You have got don't have to think for yourself. All you've got to do is go in and perform. Win, right, you've done your bit, you've won, yeah. you've won. Start back again. So mm-hmm. then when a camp finishes... There's nobody telling them what to do. All that system yeah. and what's in place, it's like kids going to school. Mm. You, you accept you have to get up at eight o'clock, you go to school, you, you learn, you come home, you have your tea, you do your own work, mm. you watch TV, you've got a system in place. Then I can remember leaving school and thinking, it's like somebody's put me on this high board here and told me to jump and I don't actually know what I'm going to do now because yeah. that's what I thought. But yeah. I, I didn't realise. I thought, well, like I, well, I ain't got a, you know, I mm-hmm. left school and I finished my paper round on a Friday and I was working on a Monday. Yeah. In, in 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 a relative's uh factory. And it was just a temporary thing, what lasted a year and I just that made me made me mind up. I didn't want to work, I didn't want to mm. have that kind of job. But I can remember being there and thinking, well, if that's it now, I've done all this, what am I gonna do? do? Because I didn't plan to go to university, mm. I didn't plan any of these things. Just thought, well I'll just I'll just freewheel it. And luckily I've never worked a day in my life since. Mm. So but I got into boxing, I got into sports, I knew about nutrition and training, and it's worked out for me. You know mm. what I mean? That's all I've done for the last, you know, 30 years or so. So, but these kids, they've had something in, you know, bringing them along. Yeah. They've had somebody dedicated to them. And in that case, it was Brendan. And he didn't just do it for these, you know, one person. He did it for a group of people. It was natural selection. Then the Nazars, the Ryan Rhodes, the Johnny Nelsons, they were the kids who just stepped out of that group, they listened more. Yeah. You know, Brendan would say, right, I was going to come out and sweep the street? Most kids they'll think, I'm not doing that, and they'd be off. Mm. And you'd have uh, 10, 10, 15 kids, three would hang of art, and hang about, and he would be sweeping, but they'd hang around because they'd be sweeping the streets, and then Brendan would be talking to him, and they'd be educating themselves. Yeah. And then he says to Johnny Nelson, get up and sing a song, get up and tell a story, and I was he'd be like, oh, Brendan. Embarrassed, mm. but look, what's he doing? He's on TV. Mm-hmm. And he had no formal training, mm-hmm. but he goes, I would never have the confidence to stand up and do that. Yeah. But I started doing it in front of kids. And he says, and I got found my confidence. So Brendan kind of extracted like a magnet. The people mm. stuck to him. And the ones who saw no sense in it or no value in it just went off and did their own thing. Yeah. And they didn't. We've never had a kid in this in our gym who, A, didn't lift, listen to Brendan 100% and didn't train properly. Mm. They've been the champions. We've had plenty of done it who haven't. You know, achieve that but we've never had anybody who went totally wrong way and became a champion it doesn't happen mm. you know you, you've got to follow the system and to get the success so keep him on the rails show him the guidelines but all of a sudden then when the fame and the money disappears everybody steps back and this kid start there, well look yesterday mm. how was this yes you know when Kilbrook got beat by I think it was Golovkin Arrow Spence he went my phone went from Ping, pinging, pinging, pinging when I was winning, when I beat Sean Porter, mm. thousands of people, people I've never heard of, numbers what were coming up,
0: yeah. what I didn't
1: have no names attached to. He says, and when I got beat, he goes, I can count on one hand how many people messaged me. He mm. says, everybody loves a winner. He says, that's the reality of it, you know.
0: Like, who's ringing? Who's ringing Kel Brook? It, it, you know, because like, they all say this, you know, like... Um, as soon as you lose and Crawley said it last week and as soon as you lose the phone stops ringing yeah. and it's like who was ringing in the first place yeah, like but, who's uh, ringing but, Kel Brook but, you know
1: but, but the thing is you have, <laughs> you have your, your group of friends yeah. and then you'll have somebody who's the, the hangers people, on yeah the hangers on the yeah. people they all get the fame touches of the mid I used to say you mm-hmm. get all these people you've got his number you've got and you know, people I get the same when you know people message me oh thanks whatever yeah. but my dad who said to me look Dominique you know when you're winning, everybody wants to know yeah. And when you're losing, nobody wants to know. Mm. Just treat everybody, just be the same. It doesn't yeah. matter. Don't let it affect you. It's like winning's winning and losing. Just get on. And the, and the thing is, get back into the gym the next day. Why does King Galahad, why was King Galahad on a treadmill the day after winning, getting, getting beat by Josh Warrington mm. in Leeds? Well, because that's what, he, that's what the system will get back on. I've got oh, that way yesterday. What am I doing today? I'm running. Mm. Same when he won. Well, he's won. What's he doing that for? He could be like swanning. Oh, he, he came in, he had some food. He went to bed, he messaged me and he went, some like, half past five, what are you doing i went am in bed? Oh, I need to get up and do a run. Are you coming down to the gym? So down into the hotel or whatever he's doing, he's training again. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like, well, that was yesterday. It's what's happening today and that's the system. So, you know, people don't get carried away with people. You know, your goal is your goal. Mm-hmm. People are either going to like it or they're not going to like it. And... You can't please everybody. And yeah. there's so many faceless people. It's like this social media thing and mental health and mm. you know, responding to people who are having a go at you. So what the before we had social media, it's, it's school ground stuff. People were talking about, oh, he said this about you. they said, yeah. Who
0: cares? It was just happening offline. It just happened offline. It's never yeah.
1: been any different. So yeah. I saw a video the other day, somebody sent it me because it it, it was supposed to have involved a kid who came to our gym and I looked at it and they were they were fighting and this kid's on the phone, and somebody's kicking him in the head. And it's disgusting. Putting that on Facebook kids mm. who's educating these kids who's telling you know really they shouldn't have phones in schools why are you allowing this at, but it's, you can't it's two PC now we can't do that or we can't take the phones off them mm. because parents will come up Why he took his phone off because parents when I were a kid if you did something wrong at school you got a scotch and do what the teacher tells you now it's like you can't talk to my kid like that yeah. where's there ever going to be any discipline yeah do you know what i mean where's even been in a discipline so that's why we've got all this kind of stuff that's why we've got mental health issues because people are allowed to get away with it mm-hmm. instead of having a system in place saying no that's not right you don't bring your phones into school there was a time when mobile phones first came out you had to put them in a locker you couldn't yeah. have it till you have it walking into school and walking out and that was it mm-hmm. and now i'm not sending my kids to school if i can't have the phone it's like yeah. they don't what they need a phone for i didn't have a phone yeah we had dial up yeah, I mean, and you know, I'll I'll see you at seven thirty. That so if we manage to get <laughs> yeah. to that point, why on earth do yeah. we need all yeah. this? And it's like at some point it's going to implode, isn't it? Yeah. At some point it's going to it's all going to blow up. So luckily, you know, we kids, our gym's the same. It's always been the same system. Mm-hmm. Like you can walk in our gym. There's no appointment needed. The doors left open most of the time. Maybe I'm going to say this we're going to get robbed. It's never really locked on at night time. Yeah. But nobody's ever been in and burgled the gym. Mm. You know, people can walk in, oh, I see social media, oh, I walked in your gym today. Nobody around. I took a few photos and, you know, it was great to see mm. it and I'm off. But that's it. Yeah, with a pair of stinky boxing gloves, fair off. there's nothing to steal.
0: Yeah.
1: And people will come in and that's the way it is because that's how respected the gym is. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. People walk in and now, oh, it's Brendan's gym mm-hmm. and that's it. So it's the same. Kids can come in at any level. They can meet Kelbrook, Kid Galahad, Nazim Hamid, whatever it is. It's, where can you do that? You can't walk into, into Manchester United or Manchester City or Liverpool and do yeah. that. And that's, it's open access. Mm-hmm. And that's how the people like Naz came through. Errol Graham brought him through. Mm-hmm. Nazim Hamid motivated, Kel and influenced Kel mm-hmm. and, and Kid Galahad. And same, you know, all the way down the line. It's them figures, but somebody's got to piece it all together. Mm-hmm. And the person who, who piece it all together was Brendan. You know, he gave the kids a confidence. When we we're talking about Naz, where did Naz get it from? And brainwashing, we've gone a long way around here. That, you know, Naz was what, well, yeah, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be world champion. He got it in his mind. But yeah. Brendan said that to seven or eight people. And they didn't become world champions. But Nazi and Mammy took it on board and, and lived that life. And I remember man, my brother used to train him when he was 12 and 13, and, and they'd do some body sparring on a Sunday afternoon with my brother John. Ryan Rhodes, Nazeem Hamid, one or two others, and Jonna said, I'm gonna be Marvin Aglard today. And he said, Well, you gonna be Naz because they'd have to introduce themselves. So they come in and Jonathan say, I'm Marvin Aglan. Naz coming. come in, Nazim Hamid. He'd be a selfie, we never wanted to be anybody else. He didn't want to be Roman Ali. So they wanted to be, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the world champion. He'd be like, look yeah. and people thinking he's never gonna he's never gonna be world champion, he's too mm-hmm. small. But he had that total belief, you mm-hmm. to know what I mean, in everything he did. And because he was managed and trained and maneuvered in the right way, mm-hmm. Then he did it, but he'd had, he was, you know, you could say that Errol Graham failed. There were several people who failed who really should have become world champion. I mean, they say Errol Graham was the, you know, the best fighter never to become world champion, yeah. but that wasn't because of his ability because he was fantastic. He, he run rings around Mike McCallum. He was running rings around Julian Jackson he got caught. It's just lifestyle out of the, uh, outside of the ring what caught up with him. Yeah. And that can be the difference in a fight. You can have two very good fighters, but the lifestyle is what catches them up. Mm-hmm. And, Naz learnt off Errol, and, and that's the system how it worked. They brought each other on. They learnt a bit. Nas learned a bit of everything. And Brendan didn't have his first world champion until he was fifty five, yeah. and I'm fifty four. So I'd, I'd hate to think that I'd, go, I'd have to wait to this age. And it's funny because you could you could say, but it's not it's not true. You could say that the one from thirteen year old, with Kid Galahad, mm. and you brought him all the way through, and you're fifty four. That's your first world champion. Well, it is, but. I've worked with so many coming through, obviously a lot of Brendan's influence, and I'd never take credit for that because it don't really matter who's who's done it. The thing is, no, there's never gonna be another Brendan Ingle. There's never gonna be another Nazi Ahmed. Mm-hmm. There's never gonna be another real grimm. I don't want to be another Brendan Ingle. I'm carrying on a system yeah. that was given to me to maintain and stick with. And I won't change it to put my own style until there's a little bit things being brought into it to improve it and things taken out. But the basic system that was, you know, 40 years old is the same. Yeah, it's got little bits added on, you know what I mean, and that's about it. But we, the same, it's the same thing. It's the same principles. What you build it on. We don't, we don't use pipes, and we don't use paddles, and we don't use all this fancy stuff because you don't need to. Because fighting is just two people in each other. Yeah, and you can elaborate as much as you want, and you can dress it up as much as you want, and you can have people coming in, you know, this special padman, this special s c coach. It's a load of rubbish. It's a load of rubbish because fighting is a basic desire, need, or whatever it is, or mm-hmm. an expression. It's just violent. And yes. but the thing is with fighters, they can step back afterwards, hug each other, and say that, you know, well done. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's how boxing's evolved in our gym with the fighters. And, you know, we've had success over a over a long period of time. It's not a fad. It's not something what's just blown up. Yeah. And it's lasted, you know, you might get fighters, you know, David A, for example, was very good in his time yeah. with, with with Adam Booth. That's probably Adam Booth's best fighter. Um, uh, Ricky Billy Graham is known for Ricky Atten. Yeah. You know, that's the best fighter he had. And what a great job, what a great combination they were. Mm -hmm. And he never boxed. Ricky Atten never boxed as well as he did for Billy Graham because Billy Graham knew knew him inside out. And that's what you need. Even though Mayweather Senior trained him, who was a fantastic, you know, top elite level trainer, he was no good for Ricky Atten. Yeah. Freddie Roach was a bit of a journeyman as a boxer. But look what a great trainer he turned out to be with several fighters. Mm -hmm. Most notably, Manny Pacquiao. So, if you can have that relationship with one fighter in your career, make him very successful. Emmanuel Stewart, he had... Look at the fighters he had. Yeah. Thomas Ernst, all oh, the cronk stable. Um, he, uh, Lennox Lewis did... A, I can remember Lennox Lewis boxing before he went to Manny Stewart. He was all over the place. He was a good fighter, but he, his style was its just not nice to watch. Mm-hmm. He didn't really know what he was doing, but Emmanuel Stewart pulled him in, tidied him up, and made his shots tighter. Gave him an idea of what he was doing. And he boxed. I, I was a timekeeper for one of his fights in Hull, wow. and he boxed a guy called Steve Garber from Bradford. And I remember looking up at this Lennox Lewis. He was massive. He was. He was his back was above the ropes. And I was. I think I was eighteen at the time. I thought oh, he's massive. This kid. And this kid came out fronting him up, and Lennox Lewis just lined him up. he was all over the place, and he eventually stopped him. I thought oh, he's, he's a big guy, but he doesn't look like he knows what he's doing. Then he went to Manuel Stewart. And he just gave him the basics, you know, get your jab working, right mm. and slash your right and be accurate. And he was very good. He, he, he'd already got it, but he didn't really know what he was doing. He was trying to do a bit of everything until Emmanuel yeah. Stewart said, no, just keep it dead simple. And that's where it is. And that's all it takes sometimes with trainers. That's what a good trainer is. Nobody's going to show you a magic combination, mm-hmm. a special technique, make you super fit. There's no such thing. Mm. It's looking at the guy we've got in front of you and thinking, how can I improve, make him better, yeah. make him better. Don't learn him stuff he can't do. You know, don't learn him to switch. He's not going to be a Nazi Ahmed. He's not going to be a Johnny Nelson. He is who he is. Develop him how he needs to be developed. And Liam Williams has not changed from yeah. what he was. Instead of just having a tear up and a scrap and going in head first, he's just tidied himself up a little mm-hmm. bit. Look at the the fight. So look at you, Chris, Crew. You, you, you know where he's been. you will go to Roy Jones. you will fight a bit like Roy Jones. He'll go with somebody who'll fight a bit like him. You don't know what his style is. Yes. You know what I mean? No. And realistically, for me, when I look, I think, well... He's done all right, but he's not done fantastic. His dad was a fantastic fighter, Mm. and he was trained by a a guy called Ronnie Davis, who never trained anybody apart from him. But he was, you know, he was a fantastic trainer for Chris for Chris Eubank Mm Senior. So everybody finds at least one champion if you can. Mm. But being able to replicate it over and over again, Joe Gallagher, he's had good some good champions over the years. Billy Graham never trained anybody apart from Rikkiat, like we said. So it's finding that system what works for you, but then you've got to find the fighter who can work to that system. Yeah. And that's the difficult part. You know what I mean? You can't always find that fighter. So you'll have successes. I've had more failures than successes, but the successes have been big. Yeah. And if I'm having loads of failures and I'm only getting, a, you know, I'm getting kids getting beaten in British title fights or Commonwealth title fights. Yeah, well, my failures are they'll get beaten in a world title fight or they'll win a world title fight. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's where it is. The others, it's just a system all the way through. People do get beat at British level and still go on Mm -hmm. to be better fighters. They can do that. That's down to them. We've had loads of fighters who've been beat at low levels and then gone on to to bigger fights. So, but that's not because of me. That's because they've had to adjust. They've had to adjust something.
0: Now that you've come this far, this far and you've seen what you've seen, you've experienced all the experiences that you've had. Could you imagine doing anything else?
1: I can imagine not doing this. Mm. I can't imagine doing anything else, but I can think to myself, there's going to be a time when I don't want to do it.
0: <laughs> do you think? Yeah.
1: Yeah, because it's, yeah. you know, it's like you said, you're talking about music. and being. Well, I was thing. just going to lead on because, to it, yeah. Because, because for me to do stuff, I have to be motivated and interested in doing I, I You know, I had a paper around when I was, I think I had a paper around from 12 years old to the day I left school, 16.
0: Yeah.
1: And like I went to work in a factory for 12 months and I just thought is this what life is mm. this is not what I want to do I draw the do my own thing yes. and you know stand or fall by it and I didn't go straight into boxing you know I spent I spent years in a band playing music going around clubs you know doing I, t- I taught most of the people in the band how to play and it, it, it financed my life so I like to train I didn't really want to go to work I enjoyed doing that but I got to a point when I got to about 27 and it's a bit of a watershed age for a lot of people. You look at, they call it the 27 Club. Look at the pop stars. They get to 27, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're three years away from 30 mm. and you're seven years away from 20. You start of thinking, where's your life going? So for me, I just remember it, by chance, my, my dad said, you just have to help us in the gym. We've got so many kids coming through. We can't handle them all. I said, what? turn them away he went, no, you we can't do that. We, it's the numbers. you got to get the numbers in. Yeah. And they were, they were kids when Naz was at his eye. You get everybody coming to the gym from all over the place. Paul Griffin from Ireland, mm-hmm. loads of Irish kids, kids from all over the world turning up, wanting to be trained because they all wanted to be, But they don't understand you can't just turn them into a Nazi Ahmed. Yeah. But they want to come to the place and they'll either revolve or they'll fall by the wayside. So I got into boxing and started doing it really begrudgingly. Doing it mm. because on Saturday nights, I was usually Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I was out gigging, yeah. and boxing was either Friday or Saturday night. Mm.
0: You know what I mean? Something had to give.
1: Something had to give, and yeah. obviously, I lived at home at the time, and says, that's what you've got to do. There's no questions asked. He's like, you know, that's where you live, so you're going to have to do this. So I did it. And at that time, there was Brendan, who was the main trainer, John, who, who, who trained the amateurs and worked with Brendan. And I was like, just the kid coming in and just taking all the rest of, you know, organizing everybody yeah. basically. And after time, after time, after time, not that I tried to push myself forward, it's more or less they took a bit of a step back. Mm. You know what I mean? And then they sent me out. But before I even did before I even did boxing, you know, at 27, at 18, I was a a, a border control timekeeper. I did that for two or three years. And one of the fights I did was uh, Barry McGregor against Jim McDonald in Manchester. Yeah. And, you know, I, I did lots of fights. <clears throat> but apart from that, when I was that age, I'd get sent to places like Belgium, Germany, Italy, France, Finland, Denmark, South Africa, just cornering kids. Not high-level kids, 50-50s, they might have you know, 10 wins, 10 losses. So then there was a circuit mm. and it was quite lucrative. So you, my dad would train kids and I'd go to South Africa for a week. You bandage them, you corner them. I didn't train them, but I knew enough to get them through a fight. They knew what they were doing. They'd win, they'd lose. And they'd be all over the place. So I was doing all the background stuff because Brendan never wanted to leave the gym. He couldn't leave the gym. He couldn't leave Nazi and for one day or uh, uh, Johnny Nelson or anybody. He had to run because he was a figurehead of that gym. And if I'd if he didn't turn up for two days, then that gym would be empty because where's Brendan? He's not here They'd go. Wow. So that's, that's the pull. So he could never leave that place. When we were yeah. kids and go on holiday, we never went on holiday with his dad. mum would take us away and that would be it. He'd stay in the gym. And that's the dedication that you need because there was no, he was, that the gym was his life Sunday morning, first thing, not church, gym. Yeah. Saturday morning, kids, seven days a week, he did it. It's not, I would never do that. Mm. But
0: how is that as his child? You know, it, forget it about it, it Dominic of the boxing yeah, coach now. It, it but it might because we
1: only lived across the road. So we were great in one sense because my dad, he, you know, he was across the road. and We could get away with more or less anything. Yeah. But by the same measure we'd go in the gym we'd swing off the bags we'd yeah. get in the ring we'd watch we'd sit down watching kids I never knew how to fight but I'd watch kids do it, hitting each other and think oh right so the first time I ever got into trouble at school when I was 6 or 7 mm. I knew how had to hit somebody even though I'd never done it because I'd seen people doing it yeah so it was normal for us it was normal it was a normal life why would yeah. you be a different but you're a bit different because you're thinking well there's 5 of us the, the, all my mates have just got 2 kids mm. I, I didn't even know <laughs> what my dad did I didn't even know he was a boxer yeah. you know what I mean so it was quite normal. Everything was going, on we had a lot of stuff going on. We'd get on the news, or it'd be in the paper. You think, why? Why is he in paper? It's like, yeah. It was, really?
0: Did he ever tell you? Did ever Did he ever say to you, like, this is what I do, no, or this just, is why I'm no, in the I mean, paper? I or... remember
1: one one year, he box. He, he, I think he, uh, I don't know. We, I, 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 I were young. I think we just and my sister, and she was born in seventy four, and he'd been retired a few years. And he, I remember we box going. It was near Christmas time. We went to Copenhagen to box, and he got beat. I think he got knocked out. We had a good Christmas because we had loads of toys. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And, right. Yeah. And he had. He, <laughs> I don't think it was expected. Like he's never risen in Catholic families, but so he had to get some money. Mm. And um, so you just realised that you know. I just realised then um, that like something were a bit different. And then as time went on, we got the. He was in the gym, and we go to the gym, and you just think, oh, it's, you don't think anything of it. I think, yeah. oh, what's this place? It was. It was mm. a church hall. And it was also a boxing club. And, and that's just how it was. That's how our life was. It's, it, it was already there before we got, mm-hmm. we were born. So you'd go over to the gym and see him. Um, if he was there and you just watch what you doing or you'd see some kids and you start playing with the kids or you just know all the characters and you get to know the fighters and you get took everywhere. It's just, that's how your life was. Mm. You just accepted it. I didn't ever for one minute think, what's this all about? So yeah. when I look back now, when I'm older and think, blimey, mate, what a child did I had!" Because it was the best one yeah you know i mean it wasn't a normal one we didn't have normal holidays my daddy got no money we were all we all he 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 grafted he paid all the bills paid the food that were it my mum made his clothes out of stuff mm. we had hand me off every old breasted family old breasted family you know my mom's was, uh, uh family they all they were the 2.4, 2.4 children standard yeah. families all both parents worked mm. and they'd all got nice houses like a little semi whatever we had we had a big house my dad knocked off it down built this you know everything was everything was done the mm. irish way back to front you know what yeah. I mean? It's not, he built an house and then he built it back to front yeah uh, and started adding on so yeah. it, it was interesting uh it was an interesting childhood and it was i wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world because we went everywhere his friends were boxing friends i remember one time near christmas he we went for a drive and he took us to somewhere up in the northeast to meet these you know this family who went to boxing and we spent a few days, you know, uh, before Christmas then. It's only now when I look back, I think it must have been that stressful for my mother. I thought I'd better take me and my other brother, John, because we were at an handful. We'll t- I'll take them out of the equation for a bit. Yeah. And so, she, you know, what I mean, it's so only when you have kids yourself, you realise mm-hmm. why you're doing it. That's I have to do the same thing. I've yeah. only got three. But when they get on top of each other, you've got to take them out, burn them out. And that's what we dad used to do. He'd take us everywhere, burn us out, bring us back. Mm-hmm. And he'd probably give him a break as well. So... You you only realize when you look back the things you did when we were kids why you did it mm. and and that's you learn that so you, you you learn that yourself with your kids you apply it to people in the gym because they are like the most kids in that gym are like your oldest kid they spoil yeah they want everything their own way the world rolls around them
0: so your eldest kid there oh me you just say like your eldest no, kid like, like
1: if you have children your ah, oldest okay. because the, because your oldest kid comes along and for. So many years, they have the undivided attention of the parents, yes. and I, it's like you have a, apparently there's a middle child syndrome, yeah. and there's the eldest, and it's, yeah. and, and, there's, and there's the only child syndrome. And the only child syndrome, what I've noticed is that they're very good at socializing because they've never known brothers and sisters. So yeah. there's been a few in the gym. They try you see them traveling the world, and they make friends very easily, and they can drop into mm-hmm. any situation. The eldest child tends to you know, want everything; they're rich, spoiled; they get face yeah. On the middle child, <laughs> kind of gets overlooked. I'm the middle child.
0: I'm the eldest, so
1: you tend to find that. Well, you, whether it applies to you are not, is that the way? Do you yes. Get, right? Do you get the most? You, you know, I'm the first one. I am here. a brass. Yeah. So it's, it's usually the first and the last. So if you were the yeah. oldest, oldest, and you've got a really young daughter, yeah. uh, your young sister, it'd be that competition because, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And then the one in the middle gets overlooked. I was, so I found my own mischief. I was the one in the middle, like a yeah. oh, middle child him, yeah. And I was a trouble causer because I found entertain, I entertain myself.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's only when you you get down the line you realise, uh, you know, but. You know, uh, it's it's just the way it is. And mm. I had to have a lot of attention. I got a lot of attention from my dad. I had to be controlled a lot and uh, explain a lot of stuff because I would fly off. Yeah. But it's all part of the it's all part of the process. It's all part of growing up in it. Mm. That's where it is. So you learn about yourself and then you learn about the kids in the gym. And Brennan used to say, "I can." he's got to the point where he says, he used to sit, I don't know if you've, you haven't been to our gym, I don't think, have you? No,
0: not yet, and no. You,
1: you walk in our gym, as a door and in the back corner where the ring is is where Brennan used to sit. And he said, by the kid, time the kid walks through that door and walks to me, I can tell what they're going to be like. Just because there's a roll of bags, they might hit the bag, they might look at somebody else, they might, whatever. Because you, you can generally tell mm-hmm. what they're going to do. And he, he'd, he'd, watch, he'd watch the behaviour, he He'd study what they were doing. And half of the time, remember when you were a kid and you think, how does my mum know I've done that? When you, you're not cleaning your yes. teeth in the morning yeah. or you're skiving school <laughs> or you think, oh, how do they know? Because they've done it all themselves. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So... Yeah. You can't understand why that is because you don't give your parents that much credit. And it's the same with boxers. Brendan would just watch them, how they interact with everybody. And he knew when somebody got a bit of a grudge with each other because and they wanted to knock lumps off each other in sport. And he wouldn't do that. He'd mm. put them in with somebody else and he'd humble them a different way. Not in a bad way, yeah but he'd do it a different And by the time they got out, they weren't interested in bashing anybody else up because yeah. they'd realise what the limitations were. So he'd do it in a crafty. We never, never had punch-ups in our gym, open sports. would never allowed. Even when other kids come from other gyms, it's not allowed. We don't have people getting knocked out you see this doghouse in Mayweather and you see this well that's mm-hmm. what you've got to do no you don't have to do that yeah. because we've had a lot of success in boxing we're having that kind of system in our gym so it's about pairing people up it's about learning how that person is and what's going to be the best for him mm-hmm. and not you know getting the stuffing knocked out of them to show, put them in the place or bumping them up that much artificially that when they actually have to go in and do it really they can't do it yeah you've got to do it in a in a in a way And it's for me it's second nature and it doesn't always work Mm-hmm. But, but I'm not going to, I ain't got a magic one can go, I'm going to turn everybody into a fantastic fighter because my is not that big and nobody can, but there's people out there who think that you can, you can't. Mm-hmm. It's got to be a combination. And usually it's got to be ninety, eighty 80 to 90% of the fighter doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be 100% of the coach paying his attention and saying, you're doing that wrong, just slightly do that, yeah. slightly do this. And it doesn't always work, but good fighters will make it work.
0: Wow. Well, we're coming towards the end of our podcast, but I've one last question that I'd like to ask you, and that's, I ask it all the time. How would you like to be remembered?
1: Before you ask me that question, I'm going to ask you this one. Have Come I actually on. answered any questions you've asked me? I've just <laughs> elaborated on everything You've done one?
0: more than that. You've done more than uh,
1: that. Why would I like to be remembered? <laughs> uh, do you know what? It's not something I think about, to be honest, um, at all. It's It wasn't, um, you know, I think for my dad coming from Ireland, big family, to find his fame and fortune, if that's what he did. Absolutely. Then that's he achieved what he needed to do. For me, mm. it's not that because, you know, I kind of had a... What can I say? Um, I had a good upbringing where he was kind of famous and... We go to school and everybody knew who you were, but not I not for any reason type. of thing. Yeah. it was like you know, it was just, it was it was a nice place to be as a kid because Harold Graham at the time was a big fighter. Then you had the Naz. So I was a bit older then, but growing up as a kid, he was in the news, he was in papers, he ran boxing shows in Sheffield. He was a bit of a somebody. But you don't really pay much attention to it because it's just your dad, innit? Mm. It's just what you do. And if I can, I don't know. Maybe I'm going to be remembered as. The son of Brendan who carried on what he was doing. If I can be remembered as that and did it very well, I'd be happy yeah. because I'm not here to make it better or be mm. better than because I don't think you can be. You can be something different. And I'm yeah. not even even going to do something different because if I were doing it different, I'd be stopping all what I'm doing mm. and say, this is my gym and I do it this way and now and I train a different style. I don't. I'm mm. just continuing what he did. And if we can keep doing that and make him what uh, making work what he made work mm-hmm. that's that's good enough for me because it's just continuing the legacy in it really
0: absolutely were you surprised by the outpouring of love when your dad passed
1: uh, not really because there were thousands and thousands of people coming through that gym and it's upset, it's upset me a bit actually but uh, yeah No, I'm not surprised really.
0: Cause there's been so many and there still is. And, you know, on his anniversary and his birthday, you know, to especially with social media, that's one of the beautiful elements of it, is that we get to see time and time again how special he was and the impact that he made.
1: Yeah, I think he's just a one-off, weren't he? Yeah. <sighs>
0: I didn't mean to upset you. <laughs> yes,
1: <that's the> <laughs> it's something you just don't tend to think about, I think, to be honest. Um, just remember the, the good times and that's it. Mm-hmm.
0: What would you say is the most important lesson that he has instilled in you? Like uh, when, when you? And not necessarily, you know, to do with boxing. What is the one thing that you carry with you that, you know... You'll say, "My dad taught me that." Um,
1: just to look after people, basically.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's what it is. Um, in boxing, it's it's easy to abuse people, and you've got to look at them as your own kids, really,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's it. So, yeah, you got a good question there, didn't you? <laughs>
0: Thank you so much. I did not mean to make you cry. Well, that's a perfect end to our podcast. Thank you very much for coming in. Did you enjoy it? I did, yes. Good. Thank you. And thank you for sharing so many stories. I, I really, it was a, a true honor. Thank you and very much. And can you
1: just uh, make sure you cut that bit out of me when I start tearing up a bit? Cause Absolutely it's, not. It's not good for me, me. <laughs> I like to walk around thinking that you know, I'm the hardest man on the planet and I'm, I'm unbreakable.
0: <laughs> no, it was a perfect touch. It showed all your different elements. Okay. So it was good. But thank you so much for coming in. I no really worries. do appreciate it. Dominic Ingle for the First Exchange podcast.